Every leader has a strategy. Executing on that strategy is the challenge. If you want to learn how to effectively achieve what you've set out to accomplish, then this show is for you. Gain keen insights and listen in as leaders share their stories and challenges. Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation welcome you to Leader Dialogue Radio. This is Duffy Dixon with Business Radio X. Thanks for joining us. Let me introduce the two people with me. Ben Sawyer, the Chief Executive Officer of Soar Vision Group. Ben has more than 30 years of executive leadership experience with a very strong record of accomplishment. He has significant guided strategy deployment experience, and he's worked with many clients to achieve dramatic, sustainable, operational performance and bigger and better outcomes. Next to him is Jennifer Strahan. She is the president of the Soar Vision Group Business Optimization Services. She has partnered hands-on with more than 100 health systems across the country, and she helps them transform their strategic operations. She's also a small business owner herself, so she knows what it takes to get your business to the next level. Thanks for joining us, both of you, and we're going to sort of pick pick up where we left off last week, which was with Dr. Chuck Peck, and he is the CEO of the Piedmont Athens Regional Medical Center. And we talked a lot about uh, performance excellence in an age of consumerism, and you are working with him now, and you have a new thing you're working on, or another thing, patient flow initiative. Right. So uh, we had a great conversation with Dr. Peck. It was really gracious of him to be on the program and spend the time with us. And as we said, consumerism is actually the largest trending topic right now in healthcare as healthcare transitions from volume to value. So for the viewer, that means moving from just getting paid for what you do, kind of on a fee-for-service basis, to actually getting paid to keep people healthy and reduce utilization. So you'll recall that Dr. Peck talked about the difference between a patient and a consumer. And that was really interesting because if you're a patient and you're in the middle of doing something in your yard and you are having a potential heart attack, you're not doing consumer-based thinking. You're thinking emergency, right? You're not Googling the best place to go right now. Right. (laughs) Whereas when you're not in an emergency and you're a consumer, you actually are trying to figure out what's going to be best for you, you know? What has the, who has the best quality? What doctor do I want to use? What kind of hospital do I use? And one of the things that we want to discuss a little bit today, Jennifer, was that distinction and how that impacts consumerism performance for health systems, why that distinction actually is important. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so a couple of thoughts come to mind when you talk about consumerism. First and foremost to me is, what is consumerism? Because we talk a lot about this, and it is a hot topic in healthcare, but it's really not a very clearly defined topic in healthcare. We talked about transparency last week and knowing, do you have the information you need to actually make those decisions? Mm-hmm. Because to your point, even though you may not be in the ambulance saying, hmm, which place has the lowest cost? You are accounting for experiences that you've had and that others have had to be able to say, over time, where do I want to go? And you recognize those things, which ultimately creates a sense of loyalty in our organization by our customers, because you're rec- you're looking at what's been my past experience at this place, or what's been my family members or friends' past experience at this, at this place. So even though you're not sitting there with the direct, you know, cost comparison, you're accounting for things that come into mind and thinking about what you define as value. Right. So just to bring this into practical focus 
Last week, unfortunately, my father-in-law died. Oh, I'm sorry. And so we made we had to work with a lot of people that we had made decisions uh, as a consumer about using during a time of family emergency. So our financial planner and our and our uh, accountant and so forth were people that we had made decisions on previously based on good consumer decision. But now that we were in an emergency, it wasn't a com- consumer decision. It was a decision to use them because we had made the right choice. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing in healthcare. I'm not going to make a consumer decision when I'm in an emergency, right? but I will have made consumer decisions prior to that, which lead me to loyalty with that institution and their group of physicians. That's actually a really important distinctive because that's where you compete. The question is, and we talk about this on the show all the time, what are the measures that matter? Mm-hmm. And even thinking about, if you go back to our hierarchy of needs, you will see under customer value, one of the, the components of that is how do you instill loyalty? And that's consistent through previous six experiences. Right. So, so let's let listeners go on to, yes. we talk about the hierarchy of needs. Let's www.leaderdialogue.com and you will see that hierarchy and as you said go down to customer value customer value mm-hmm. and you see in there so so how do you do that you just brought up a good question so when you're looking at value this is actually interesting because you know a lot of my work is based on lean six sigma um, and there's a lot of discussion and we can certainly have many many shows on lean six sigma but the whole premise behind lean and six sigma but particularly we'll focus on lean is how do you bring value to the customer in a better, faster, easier way? That's essentially what you're looking at. And so when we define that, the struggle, I think, is that, again, in healthcare, we have a hard time saying who our customer is because we have so many customers. You've got internal customers. You've got external customers. In reality, our patients, even though they are the customer of our service, oftentimes, they're not usually the customer who hands us payment because right. a lot of that comes from the they do more so now um, but less so because of insurance and, and there's that disconnect there but you have to think about value and so in lean there's there's a principle there's three principles that you look at for any activity so you consider an activity either value-added non-value-added or business non-value-added value-added in essence the easiest way to describe this would be something that people realize this is what I'm coming to you for. This is what I'm going to pay you for. So, for example, going into the emergency room, what are you going for? Usually something you know you have to go to the emergency room for. If something, <laughs> Something's bleeding. Mm-hmm. Uh, chest pains mm-hmm. would be another one. But it's something that you have to have care immediately. Or mm-hmm. in your mind, you think you do. Right. That's it. Nobody yeah. wants to go to the emergency room. Well, right. in our house. I mean, if you're going to the emergency room, it's a big deal. Of course, yeah. because the running joke, and this is bad, but... People know if I'm going to the ER, I'm going to go and wait for six or eight hours, Absolutely. Right? How much of that is value-added time, right? In reality, what are you waiting for? You're going in, you want to see a provider, whether it's a mid-level or a physician, whoever can take care of you, who's going to give you treatment to alleviate your pain or fix your problem. That's all you want. 
but we give all these add-ins, right? So we get, we're going to give you lots of wait time. We're going to give you lots of conversations. Then you're going to get to talk to the people in the waiting room. And lots the, of the forms people coming to complete. In. Tons of forms. So much fun, right? And the same so, questions over and over each time oh, a new yes, person comes in the room. Oh, Are you allergic time. to anything? Every like, time. Shouldn't someone write that down? Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. They do. They do. Times. They, and, and they put it in a computer. <laughs> exactly. But there's this, there's all of these components of waste, right? Um, and so value added is basically, in essence, what would I be willing to pay you for? So it's the time with the provider who's going to diagnose and treat me, right? right? Or the necessary steps to get that diagnosis. The secondary component of that is non-value added, which are all those forms of waste that we had, right? That we just jokingly alluded to. But there's a third step, which we do a lot in healthcare, which is called business non-value added. And these are those steps that they may not bring value to the customer and your customer or patient consumer would typically say they don't. But on the flip side, that's a required step. So for instance, with joint commission, having to fill out certain things or from payers like Medicare or having to document, um, these are things that we have to do to maintain a business in some form. However, the consumer doesn't get any value from it. And we have convoluted our process so much in healthcare that we're adding a lot of business non-value added steps, which become waste for our patient, but they don't actually help the patient. So just to keep this conversation really focused and for the benefit of the listeners, what we're talking about is differentiated consumerism. Gotcha. In other words, as an organization, in this case a hospital, how do I differentiate our services from our competitors so that a patient will choose us. So the first thing we talked about is they're going to choose you on the measures that matter when they're not a patient and they're a consumer. And then when they are a patient, they're going to follow their consumer decision, just like the example I gave with my father-in-law. And then now we're talking about organizational effectiveness, which is the second to the last level of the organizational needs hierarchy. And we're saying that when you are delivering the service, in this case to a patient, you have to be very thoughtful as to what is actually contributing or non-contributing to a patient. And there also is a recognition that sometimes there's business value added that are just a requirement, but you you have to constantly be aware of those as it relates to the delivery to your ultimate customer. Yeah. And not use it as a scapegoat because Correct. we do that a lot where we say, oh, joint commission requires this or someone requires this. And sometimes they actually don't to that level of detail that we do it. Uh, but we've become so accustomed to doing these things that we forget to find new ways of doing things because we're just reacting to fires all the time. Right. So let's go now to the bottom of the um, organizational hierarchy of needs, which is colleague engagement. And Dr. Peck said something really interesting that we want to spend a little time on. He actually asked us a question, and we were all supposed to choose the answer. Yes. And... He is absolutely right. So pose that question again. Yeah. Well, so so basically what he was asking is what's the most important thing that you need to focus on? Right. As a hospital. As a hospital. And, and by the way, it transfers to any organization. Exactly. And he referenced a book called The Patient Comes Second, which he said as a physician is kind of an unusual thing to, to say. But basically what it says is if your employees are not in a good place, if they're not taken care of, they're not going to give good care. Right. Right. And and one of the things that struck Jennifer and I as we were preparing for today's show, uh, I don't know how many of the listeners watch um, uh, America's Got Talent, but on the last show this last week, there was a 
uh, a young dad who had one child by birth and I think five children by adoption, uh, one of which was a disabled child, and he was there to sing. And one of the things he, he talked about in his opening remarks is that if a child is, uh, is only surviving, they can't dream. Oh. And, and in an organization, if you're only surviving, in other words, you're, you're, you're doing the tyranny of the urgent, you, you can't innovate. So Dr. Peck is really onto something here. What he's saying is, and if you recall, he was making sure that all of his employees had living wages compared to Atlanta, right. which is a different market than Athens, very smart. And as a result, he was able to move, you recall, their Prescani score from 2%. Remember, he reminded us that's, that's just north of 1%. Right. <laughs> Not good. Yeah. And, and they, if you recall, they moved it to 65% in three years. And as a result, guess what they saw? innovation and they moved right up to organizational effectiveness and they started to be more you know more effective with that and then they moved up to customer demand and by the way you you let off with this um that's what we're going to be helping with them with is patient flow initiative because now they have increased demand because patients want to come there because they are they are a good place. So now they have to figure out how to deal with that more efficiently and that's what Jennifer and I are going to help them do. But all that backdrop is really related to the fundamental concept that for an organization to innovate, which is required for consumerism, mm-hmm. they have to have a foundation of colleague engagement, which means they understand and are take care taking care of their employees. So talk to us a little bit about that in terms of there's a lot of concepts packed into what he right yeah right so it goes back to at the end of the day how do you make your employees feel like owners right right Right. how do you make them enjoy the day like in and and buy into the mission you know right part of the be part of the what do you say be part of the solution not the problem right all those things we hear Right. right but get them on board right so you know a lot of um a lot of people in every business not just healthcare of course healthcare is 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 an ex- a prime example, but small business, large business, you go in and you either fall into, you just, you're queer creatures of habit. We tend to fall into the things we have to get done and we're working on these tasks and we're going through doing all of these different tasks. It's very easy to sometimes lose the why behind it. Mm-hmm. And if you can keep it fresh and to your point, you have where people have fun at work and they're not you know, frustrated with everything or overwhelmed with just all of the inefficiencies, then it's a lot easier to have fun, right? right. And to keep the happy. I mean, you guys have probably experienced, I've had great nurses and I've had nurses who were so grumpy that you're just thinking, why have you not retired? Like, right. Clearly, clearly you've <laughs> lost the joy, right? right? And you see that and it could be that it has nothing to do with you as a person, but they walk in and instantly they're just like, oh God, I hope you don't poke me. Like your face looks like you're going to poke me, right? Well, and the problem in healthcare, like it or not, that is a people job. That's right. As skilled service as you industry. are, as great as you are at poking that needle mm-hmm. and replacing that bandage, you are dealing, and you're dealing with people m- many times in pain, mm-hmm. many times feel helpless and right. everything else. So you've got to bring your A game. Right. And, and yeah. Yeah. There's and, a, go ahead. So, and by the way, these incredible workers come to work to succeed. Right. They, they, they come to do that, but they often walk into an environment that is chaotic. Right. Disorganized, 
There's an emphasis on things that shouldn't be emphasized, right. but it's required. And what ends up happening is they become harried because they're having to do things that they don't necessarily think are important, but they have to do them. And ultimately what happens is the patient becomes number two and then number three and then number four, and pretty soon they're at the bottom of the list because this provider who is well-intentioned and trained to help has been tyrannized by the urgent and can't actually do what's important. And this is actually a leadership issue. We talked about this with Dr. Peck. Nothing happens in an organization outside of the shadow of a leader. So if the senior leaders, particularly the CEO, is not aware of that and basically um, driving an environment where employees can win, Mm They won't win. The organization will not win. I think that's the net of, of what Dr. Peck talked about. And just to get a little geeky on you, there, there are organizational theories. So there's an upper echelon theory, which basically says that when you're looking at the construct of a business, that the senior leaders in that business really set the tone for the entire organization. And that's true. You see it. Right. Does, they absolutely do. Does part of that have to do with them being um, accessible or... or uh, you know, reaching out to their employees and continuing maybe the conversation or the mission or, you know, say, you know, just making sure everyone's checking back with the employees. We talked about them knowing the strategy. Obviously, the strategy may be tweaked or so you, something comes up. But is it up to those leaders to make sure that information gets down to the employees? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. And, and but let me let me see if I can answer it in a way that actually gives really substance to it. So so the short answer is yes. OK. But the more in, in, insightful answer is that they have to care. In other words, it's not just about I'm making myself accessible. It's I'm a servant leader. The customer is actually at the top of this organizational pyramid, and this pyramid is inverted, and I'm, I'm at the bottom. So as the CEO, which I am of my organization, my challenge is how does the frontline person have everything they need to do to be able to create the best experience for the customer, in this case, the patient at a hospital, and the person that's supporting them, which would be a supervisor, do they have what they need? And then the director, and then and all the way down, vice presidents, you know, chief executive, whatever. So now everyone wants to come work for you, so tell them we're to go ahead and apply. No. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the point is, it's intentional. It's, right. it's not just making yourself accessible it's understanding that your mission and your job is to make sure that every employee can win that when you invest in them you're investing in your customer so two things that you guys each pointed out that i think would be perfect to connect the dots for is that you're talking about communication how mm-hmm. do i make sure people are aware of what's going on and you're essentially talking there's an essence of trust there yes there so is so can you talk about the the um, communication flywheel because I think it's a perfect way to bring that together. Yes, absolutely. And this is in the Leader Dialogue uh, website. Um, It is one of the blogs. So if they go to the blog site, they'll be able to find this uh, and track with me. The communication flywheel. It's it's called the Effective Communication Flywheel. And there are uh, five or six stations on it. I'll go through them and I'll tell you what they are. The first station is... Honest, robust dialogue and knowledge exchange. So whenever you're working with anyone in an organization, peer-to-peer or whatever, you have to first make sure that you're all on the same page. This is the alignment step. Because a lot of times people assume that the other person knows what they're talking about. They don't. (laughs) So you have to start with 
honest, robust dialogue about what you're trying to accomplish, and then knowledge exchange where there's gaps in knowledge. And once you do that, you're able to achieve at least alignment that what we're talking about is the same thing and we're trying to same, solve the same problem and that sort of thing. The second step is an interesting one. It's commitment. It's not agreement and it's not consensus. Oh. It's commitment. Because actually effective execution doesn't happen by consensus. It happens because of clarity and alignment around what we know we need to solve and then the best idea is put forward and whoever is the most senior person in that first conversation, which was the alignment conversation, calls the question for a commitment. So that could be two people on the front line. One bet has been there longer than the other. They, they, they call the question. If it's a supervisor versus employees, obviously they call the question and so forth. So that's the, the rules of the road and, and we encourage organizations use this at all times. Now they've made commitment. So now what do they have to do? Well, they have to translate that into accountability that's step three on the flywheel. So accountability is smart measures, right? So specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, timely. It's, it's the way to know we actually did it. So I've got alignment. Now I've got commitment. Now I know who's doing it, when they're doing it, how they're going to do it, what's the outcome expected to be. That will drive station four on the flywheel, which is results, when you have those first three things, you're going to get results, which drives station five, which is trust. Or Teams that are able to do this build trust, and some would argue the sixth step is customer loyalty. I, I blend those mm-hmm. two. That's why five and six are the same. If you have a high-performance, uh, high-trust environment, you will have customer loyalty. That then leads again to station one, which is the next time you have a problem, you want to have conversations again. This is also a diagnostic, and then I'll stop and pass it off to you. The diagnostic is, let's say you're not having results. It's either that you didn't have good accountability, you didn't have commitment, you didn't have alignment, or you didn't even trust the person enough to have the conversation in the first place. So you have to go back to step one, basically. Correct. So we (laughs) teach this as a living structure within organizational deployment it's based on the work of Patrick Lencioni under the five dysfunctions of a team, as well as Jim Collins and Morton Hansen in, in uh, Great by Choice and so on. So uh, these are based on well-researched principles, and we've seen them applied very effectively in, in the different engagements that we do. Right. So it's one of those components when, again, thinking about lean and thinking about just the essence of what you're building in a business it's based on respect mutual respect and that's part of that honest robust dialogue as being able to recognize that just because we don't disagree on things doesn't mean that we don't respect one another um, you can you can disagree and it's healthy right it's good to be able to recognize when you don't agree and actually there are many studies that have shown that whenever you just have kind of a consensus based organization it calls to question your results because you just kind of go with the flow. I mean, healthcare historically struggled with that. You would hear about, um, you know, nurses not questioning the doctors. And I think that we as a, as an industry and as a culture have done a lot to address that to where it's not kind of a hierarchical focus, but rather it's a team focus because at the end of the day, it's all about how to, to your point, it's a service industry. How do we provide the best care possible to our patients and enjoy doing it while we're doing it? Right. So one of the really interesting things about this flywheel is it's applicable in any organization. Absolutely. Families. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Uh, political institutions. Right. Uh, churches. Whatever. It, 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 it absolutely applies. And yet so many people seem to not be doing that now. No, they don't. 
I love the I, I love the word in that first step, robust. Yes. That tells me people come to the table yep. and they lay it out there. Yes. Right? And obviously a decision has to be made, but everyone has a say. They get they get their say. But then you go to the next step where you basically agree that someone's going to make the decision now, but we've all had a say and we're committed to how we move forward. Right. So many things you, you, like you said, the new thing is the big chief in the room says, well, I think we should do this. And everyone else stops talking, looks shiftily around at each other and goes, OK, that's great. Right. But well, a you, secure leader, a secure manager, a secure leader trusts his employees yes. or her employees and wants their input and wants it to be a team. That's exa- right. exactly right. Right. When you look at organizations and kind of, again, that behavioral theory and you're seeing fairness, a lot of times fairness isn't just, there are components where is it fair because of the outcome or is it fair because of the process that allowed you to get to the outcome? And that's where I think this really comes into play is allowing you to look to see, was everyone hurt? It gives you that opportunity, which is, you're right, it's a, it's a leadership shift from traditional command and control leadership because it requires trust of your employees that they're going to come up with the right decision. And again, we said that we want employees to buy into the why. We, We want employees who ask why. Tell me why we're doing this. Let me get on board. So you're bringing up the point that I missed, which is the most important of the flywheel, and that is the centerpiece of the flywheel is our organizational statement of purpose. It's our why statement, what we call in in strategy deployment the HOTION, which means a statement of directional purpose. So, for example, in a, in a health system that I worked at before, their statement of purpose is together doing the right thing the right way every day for every patient. And they had it on their cups. They had it on the, the mantles over the door. They had it everywhere. So when you're doing the flywheel around that, the question is, are we aligned on that? Are we committed on that? Are we doing results around that? So that are, is the theme, and everything else has to, has to connect back to that. And it's very hard to actually get to a combined why. There's a lot of, like, why are we here? Why do we exist, right? So let's just take it as a family. Why does a family exist? Right? So if a family is talking that through and we exist to support each other, we exist to make a difference in the lives of those around us. Okay, great. Let's condense that into a statement of purpose as a family. Now, let's have honest, robust dialogue together and achieve alignment about what that means for us as a family. And then let's make commitments about what we're going to do. And then let's hold each other accountable to do that. And guess what? We're going to get results as a result of that. In other words, we're going to make a difference in each other's lives and the lives of those around us. And that will build trust. And it also builds loyalty with those that we interact with as a family and so on, right? So this is true with any organization. These are just foundational principles of organizational development. Yeah. So next up, Ben's going to tell us about how he manages therapy internally with families. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's brilliant. It's applicable to businesses. It's applicable well, to Well, I'll tell you, I, I just have to say this, and this is a shout out to my father-in-law. So at his funeral, my sons got up, three of them, and, and did a eulogy that nobody had a dry in the place because they called him Grand Dude, and Grand Dude represented that value of family first and 
in their eulogy expressed that it was it was stunning and afterwards people came up to us and were like oh my gosh i didn't realize how incredible of a guy he was but that's what he did he he established as a why that it's family first and time means love and he left a legacy and he left an incredible and those and those those boys got up and told you and and there is no better feeling Mm-hmm. For parents to see it already right. having having an effect. Well, and think about relating this back to business. That's what leaders want. They Correct. want to leave a legacy, right? Correct. As you take on the next role or you go to the next challenge in your career, you want to leave a meaningful legacy to that organization. So one of the things that comes to mind is we're talking about this and trust, and there's so many books and different resources. But in essence, Stephen Covey describes trust as built by two things, character and competence. Right. And mm-hmm. it requires character to have honest, robust dialogue, and it require and to be able to call people into account and have commitment and accountability, um, which I can talk more about. But then on the other end, you have to get results. So people have to see that you're going to act on your word. Things are going to come to fruition. And that's where that's where a lot of organizations fail. They have strategy, but they don't have the execution, right? right? Back to our original essence. And that is what creates this. So back to the very first talking point we talked about of patients versus consumers, even though consumers are not, again, pulling out their computer to look at, you know, star ratings, we're basing our trust, our loyalty of an organization on our previous, the competence they've seen through previous experiences or family or friends who have talked about it, and the character being how were we treated when we were there. Yeah. So those two things are directly and relevant And I would argue that that's the single most important thing of any consumer experience is they cared about me. Mm-hmm. Right. Right? I mean, think about your consumer experiences. Whatever it is, the waitress really went out of their way to understand, and they, they saw that you had a problem, so they right. took extra time to talk to you. The doctor sat down instead of just walking in, and they wanted to know, so Duffy, how are you doing? Or Jennifer, how are you? Right? It's the way people treat us that is the essence of consumerism. That's why we don't like it when a machine answers the phone. Right. <laughs> Right? You realize we're going to talk about this in every episode. We are, of this course. Is really, this, is, this, is, this is the needle in our side, people. <laughs> yeah. But the point is, we make a difference by caring. Right. And as a leader, that's the one biggest distinctive is you demonstrate to your employees that you care and you are beginning to build a legacy because they then translate that to others that they're working with, particularly the consumer. And as a result of that, which is the essence of colleague engagement, you can develop organizational effectiveness, you can create customer value, and ultimately it drives financial performance, and it allows people to be accountable when you're talking about strategy execution. And I wanted to go back on that uh, to kind of finish our session here, Jennifer. The challenge is accountability sometimes is a bad word. Right. So there is a professor at um, the Ohio State University in the business school, Jeffrey Ford. And he, when I first heard this, I thought it was brilliant. So he refers to accountability in that we all have an accountophobia. And so when we... (laughs) That is perfect. Accountophobia. Exactly. When we hear accountability, there's a negative connotation. We think of it as punishment, but it's really, it shouldn't be that way. It really should be about mutual respect and that if I have committed to you in that that communication flywheel, then we should be able to go to each other and say, hey, Ben, you mentioned that you were going to send me this, right? Or I know I was supposed to send you this, but I'm behind. Can I get it to you at, you know, five o'clock today or whatever the case is? It should really be about respect, not about punishment. Right. And when you, 
have a mutually respectful relationship and you actually are demonstrating care and concern, it then becomes fun to be able to collaborate with that person. When it's not fun is when you're dealing with somebody that has prickers, right? Or I mean, the blame I, game. Well, the, you yes. were supposed to this. Well, he didn't do that and she didn't. Yes, right. everybody's got alligator arms. Right. Right? <laughs> yeah, that type of thing. So, yeah. So, um, these are really fundamental principles. And I think what I have to really give a shout out to Dr. Peck on is he gets that. He's been a really effective leader and he's turned that organization around. And we are just really pleased to be able to now help him maximize that gain that he's gotten, which is increased patient volume. And now how do you take it to the next level from the standpoint of efficiency? It's going to be exciting to watch. He mm-hmm. really, he's already done amazing things. And with your help, it's going to be, it's going to be one to watch. Yeah, he's yeah. got a great team and they've definitely been able to maximize their efforts and capabilities together to drive some real change. Well, thanks everyone for joining us for another Leader Dialogue presented by SOAR Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation. Remember, you can tune in and listen to us live every Friday at 1 o'clock Eastern Time. And then to hear this episode again or to listen to any of the previous episodes, visit Leader Dialogue slash podcast. Now, on behalf of Ben and Jennifer and our producers, Mike, Trey, and Nat. LeaderDialogue.com. Oh, I left off the dot com. Okay, let's do that again. LeaderDialogue.com slash podcast. See, you can see the right there when I wrote it down. I forgot forgot the dot com. Um, On behalf of Ben and Jennifer and our producers, Mike, Trey, and Nat, I'm Duffy Dixon. Join us next time on Leader Dialogue on Business Radio X. Thank you, Duffy. Thanks, Duffy.